Chapter One, Part Two of Kangaroo by D. H. Lawrence, published in 1923. Chapter One, Part Two of Kangaroo by D. H. Lawrence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter One, Toriston, Part Two. The hedge between Number Fifty One and fifty was a rather weary hedge with a lot of dead branches in it on the summer side yet it grew thickly with its dark green slightly glossy leaves and it had little pinky green flowers just coming out sort of pink pea flowers harriet went nosing round for flowers their garden was just trodden grass with the remains of some bushes and a pumpkin vine so she went picking sprigs from the intervening hedge trying to smell a bit of sentiment but failing at one place the hedge was really thin, and so, of course, she stood to look through into the next patch. Oh, but those dahlias are really marvellous. You must come and look, she sang out to Summers. Yes, I know, I've seen them, he replied rather crossly, knowing that the neighbours would hear her. Harriet was so blithely unconscious of people on the other side of hedges. As far as she was concerned, they ought not to be there, even if they were in their own garden. You must come and look, though. Lovely, real plum colour in the loveliest velvet you must come he left off sweeping the little yard which was the job he had set himself for the moment and walked across the brown grass to where harriet stood peeping through the rift in the dead hedge her head tied in a yellow red-spotted duster and of course as summers was peeping beside her the neighbor who belonged to the garden must come backing out of the shed and shoving a motorcycle down the path smoking a short little pipe meanwhile it was the man in blue overalls, the one named Jack. Summers knew him at once, though there was now no blue overalls, and the man was staring hard at the dead place in the hedge, where the faces of Harriet and Richard were seen peeping. Summers then behaved as usual on such occasions, just went stony and stared unseeing in another direction, as if quite unaware that the owner of the dahlias had a motorcycle, any other owner than God indeed. Harriet nodded a confused and rather distant good morning. The man just touched his cap, very cursory, and nodded, and said good morning across his pipe with his teeth clenched, and strode round the house with his machine. Why must you go yelling for other people to hear you, said Summers to Harriet. Why shouldn't they hear me, retorted Harriet. The day was Saturday. Early in the afternoon, Harriet went to the little front gate because she heard a band, or the rudiments of a band. Nothing would have kept her indoors when she heard a trumpet. Not six wild summerses. It was some very spanking Boy Scouts marching out. There were only six of them, but the road was hardly big enough to hold them. Harriet leaned on the gate in admiration of their dashing broad hats and thick calves. As she stood there, she heard a voice. Would you care for a few dahlias? I believed you liked them. She started and turned bold as she was in private when anybody addressed her in the open any stranger she wanted to bolt but it was the fifteen neighbor the female neighbor a very good-looking young woman with loose-brown hair and brown eyes and a warm complexion the brown eyes were now alert with question and with offering and very ready to be huffy or even nasty if the offering was refused harriet was too well-bred oh thank you very much she said but isn't it a pity to cut them oh not at all my husband will cut you some with pleasure jack jack she called hello came the masculine voice will you cut a few delilahs for mrs er i 
don't know your name she flashed a soft warm winning look at harriet and harriet flushed slightly for the people next door concluded the offerer summers s o m e r s harriet spelled it out oh summers exclaimed the neighborhood woman with a gawky little jerk like a schoolgirl mr and mrs summers she reiterated with a little laugh that's it said harriet i saw you come yesterday and i wondered we hadn't heard the name of who was coming she was still rather gawky and schoolgirlish in her manners half shy half brusque no i suppose not said harriet wondering why the girl didn't tell her own name now that's your husband who has the motor-bike said harriet yes that's right that's him that's my husband jack mr calcott mr calcott oh said harriet as if she were mentally abstracted trying to spell the word summers and the little passage inside the house heard all this with inward curses that's done it he groaned to himself he'd got neighbors now and sure enough in a few minutes came harriet gushing cries of joy and admiration oh how lovely how marvellous but can they really be dahlias i've never seen such dahlias they're really too beautiful but you shouldn't give them me you shouldn't why not cried mrs calcutt in delight so many and isn't it a pity to cut them this rather wistfully to the masculine silence of jack oh no they want cutting as they come or the blooms get smaller said jack masculine and benevolent in scent they have scent cried harriet sniffing at her velvety bouquet they have a little not much though flowers don't have much scent in australia deprecated mrs calcutt oh i must show them to my husband cried harriet half starting from the fence then she lifted up her voice love it she called love it you must come come here come and see love hut what come come and see this dragged the bear out of his den mr summers twisting sour smiles of graciousness on his pale bearded face crossed the veranda and advanced towards the division fence on the other side of which stood his australian neighbor in shirt-sleeves with a comely young wife very near to him whilst on this side stood harriet with a bunch of pink and purple ragged dahlias and an expression of joyous friendliness which summers knew to be false upon her face look what mrs calcutt has given me aren't they exquisite cried harriet rather exaggerated awfully nice said summers bowing slightly to mrs calcutt who looked uneasy and to mr calcutt otherwise jack got here all right in the handsome then said jack summers laughed and he could be charming when he laughed as he met the other man's eye my wrist got tired propping up the luggage all the way he replied ay there's not much waste ground in a hansom you can't run up a spare bed in the parlour so to speak but it saved you five bob oh at least ten between me and a sydney taxi driver yes they'll do you down if they can that is if you let em i have a motor-bike so i can afford to let em get the wind up don't depend on em you see that's the point it is i'm afraid the two men looked at each other curiously and mrs calcutt looked at summers with bright brown alert eyes like a cat that has suddenly caught sight of something a new sort of bird to her was this little man with a beard he wasn't handsome and impressive like his wife no he was odd but then he had a touch of something the magic of the old world that she had never seen the old culture the old glamour she thought that because he had a beard and wore a little green house jacket he was probably a socialist the summers now had neighbors somewhat to the chagrin of richard lovat 
he had come to this new country the youngest country on the globe to start a new life and flutter with a new hope and he started with a rabid desire not to see anything and not to speak one single word to any single body except harriet whom he snapped at hard enough to be sure the morning sometimes won him over they were so blue and pure the blue harbour like a lake among the land so pale blue and heavenly with its hidden and half-hidden globes intruding among the low dark brown cliffs and among the dark-looking tree-covered shores and up to the bright red suburbs but the land the ever dark bush that was allowed to come to the shores of the harbour it was strange that with the finest of new air dimming to a lovely pale blue in the distance and with the loveliest stretch of pale blue water the tree-covered land should be so gloomy and lightless it is the sun-refusing leaves of the gum-trees that are like dark hardened flakes of rubber he was not happy there was no pretending he was he longed for europe with hungry longing florence with giotto's pale tower or the pincio at rome or the woods in berkshire heavens the english spring with primroses under the bare hazel bushes and thatched cottages among plum blossom he felt he would have given anything on earth to be in england it was may end of may almost bluebell time and the green leaves coming out on the hedges or the tall corn under the olives in sicily or london bridge with all the traffic on the river or bavaria with gentian and yellow globe flowers and the alps still icy oh god to be in europe lovely lovely europe that he had hated so thoroughly and abused so vehemently saying it was moribund and stale and finished the fool was himself he had got out of temper and so had called europe moribund assuming that he himself of course was not moribund but sprightly and chirpy and too vital as the americans would say for europe well if a man wants to make a fool of himself it is as well to let him Summers wandered disconsolate through the streets of sydney forced to admit that there were fine streets like birmingham for example that the parks and the botanical gardens were handsome and well kept that the harbour with all the two-decker brown ferry-boats sliding continuously from the circular quay was an extraordinary place but oh what did he care about it all in martin place he longed for westminster in sussex street he almost wept for covent garden and st martin's lane at the circular quay he pined for london bridge it was all london without being london without any of the lovely old glamour that invests london this london of the southern hemisphere was all as it were made in five minutes a substitute for the real thing just a substitute as margarine is a substitute for butter and he went home to the little bungalow bitterer than ever pining for england but if he hated the town so much why did he stay oh he had a fanciful notion that if he was really to get to know anything at all about a country he must live for a time in the principal city so he had condemned himself to three months at least he told himself to comfort himself that at the end of three months he would take the steamer across the pacific homewards towards europe he felt a long navel string fastening him to europe and he wanted to go back to go home he would stay three months three months penalty for having forsworn europe three months in which to get used to this land of the southern cross cross indeed a new crucifixion and then away homewards the only time he felt at all happy was when he had reassured himself that by august by august he would be taking his luggage on to a steamer that soothed him 
he understood now that the romans had preferred death to exile he could sympathize now with ovid on the danube hungering for rome and blind to the land around him blind to the savages so somers felt blind to australia and blind to the uncouth australians to him they were barbarians the most loutish neapolitan loafer was nearer to him in pulse than these british australians with their aggressive familiarity he surveyed them from an immense distance with a kind of horror of course he was bound to admit that they ran their city very well as far as he could see everything was very easy and there was no fuss amazing how little fuss and bother there was on the whole nobody seemed to bother there seemed to be no policeman and no authority the whole thing went by itself loose and easy without any bossing no real authority no superior classes hardly even any boss and everything rolling along as easily as a full river to all appearances that's where it was like a full river of life made up of drops of water all alike europe is really established upon the aristocratic principle remove the sense of class distinction of higher and lower and you have anarchy in europe only nihilists aim at the removal of all class distinction in europe but in australia it seemed to summers the distinction was already gone there was really no class distinction there was a difference of money and of smartness but nobody felt better than anybody else or higher only better off and there is all the difference in the world between feeling better than your fellow-man and merely feeling better off now summers was english by blood and education and though he had no antecedents whatsoever yet he felt himself to be one of the responsible members of society as contrasted with the innumerable irresponsible members in old cultured ethical england this distinction is radical between the responsible members of society and the irresponsible it is even a categorical distinction it is a caste distinction a distinction in the very being it is the distinction between the proletariat and the ruling classes but in australia nobody is supposed to rule and nobody does rule so the distinction falls to the ground the proletariat appoints men to administer the law not to rule these ministers are not really responsible any more than the housemaid is responsible the proletariat is all the time responsible the only source of authority the will of the people the ministers are merest instruments summers for the first time felt himself immersed in real democracy in spite of all disparity in wealth the instinct of the place was absolutely and flatly democratic a terre democratic demos was here his own master undisputed and therefore quite calm about it no need to get the wind up at all over it it was a granted condition of australia that demos was his own master and this was what richard lovett summers could not stand you may be the most liberal liberal englishman and yet you cannot fail to see the categorical difference between the responsible and the irresponsible classes you cannot fail to admit the necessity for rule either you admit yourself an anarchist or you admit the necessity for rule in england the working classes in england feel just the same about it as do the upper classes any working man who sincerely feels himself a responsible member of society feels it is his duty to exercise authority in some way or another and the irresponsible working man likes to feel that there is a strong boss at the head 
if only so he can grumble at him satisfactorily europe is established on the instinct of authority thou shalt the only alternative is anarchy somers was a true englishman with an englishman's hatred of anarchy and an englishman's instinct for authority so he felt himself at a discount in australia in australia authority was a dead letter there was no giving of orders here or if orders were given they would not be received as such a man in one position might make a suggestion to a man in another position and this latter might or might not accept the suggestion according to his disposition australia was not quite yet in a state of anarchy england had as yet at least nominal authority but let the authority be removed and then for it is notorious when it comes to constitutions how much there is in a name was all that stood between australia and anarchy just a name the name of england britain empire viceroy or governor-general or governor the shadow of the old sceptre the mere sounding of a name was it just the hollow word authority sounding across seven thousand miles of sea that kept australia from anarchy australia authority anarchy a multiplication of the alpha so richard lovett cogitated as he roamed about uneasily not that he knew all about it nobody knows all about it and those that fancy they know almost all about it are usually most wrong a man must have some ideas about the thing he's up against otherwise he's a simple washout but richard was wrong given a good temper and a genuinely tolerant nature both of which the australians seem to have in a high degree you can get on for quite a long time without rule for quite a long time the thing just goes by itself is it merely running down however like a machine running on but gradually running down ah questions end of chapter one toriston part two